Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show, where we interview entrepreneurs. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jeff Schechter, otherwise known as Shecky. Now, Shecky is the CEO and founder of High Return Real Estate, and beyond that, he's been a branding expert since the fourth grade. We'll get into that a little bit later. How are you doing today, Shecky? I'm doing great, Ben. I'm very excited to be here. The pleasure is all mine, and I am just as excited. So, Shecky, let's jump right into it. What is your story? Well, it's a long one. I'll give you the short version. I uh, was raised by a clergyman, actually. My father was a rabbi, and I, uh, from a very young age, there was, as you can imagine, I was the firstborn. There was a lot of expectations. You know, you're going to do this. You're going to go to synagogue. You're going to marry a nice Jewish girl. You know, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, all these other things. And I had a really, really difficult time living up to any of that. And not to say that I was like the world's biggest rebel. Uh, I was kind of a quiet rebel. I would sort of go to the other side of town where nobody would know who I was or where I was doing so as not to disrespect my father. But it created a situation where I had a lot of years of not figuring out who the heck I was and um, struggling a little bit with careers and things like that. And to a certain extent, it almost forced me into being an entrepreneur. So I got had to get very scrappy just about creating income for myself and paying the rent, obviously. And um, it, it instilled in me for sure a, a sense of flying from the seat of my pants, for lack of a better word. And, it, you know, the universe in a way is very kind, although it was very difficult for me. There were some really great lessons that were learned at a young age as a result of that. And it always forced me to be more entrepreneurial. So, you know, other than some stints in sales and things like that, which were, you know, jobs really just to make ends meet, they they were more from a bigger standpoint, ways to just fuel my entrepreneurial habit, as it were. And because I was always looking to start other companies and other businesses and things like that. And some of them did well, and some of them really sucked. Um, and, you know, so for the most part, it's been, um, very much a roller coaster ride, but um, but here I am. Shecky, let's dive into your childhood. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you were raised in a household where your father was a rabbi. Um, I'm actually Jewish myself, so I'm I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, All right, with... Mazel Tov. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, and likewise. Um, so, so I'm pretty familiar with with how that dynamic might play out, but but I really want to explore that. Um, what sort of Judaism did you practice when you were younger, and and or, or I guess what sort of Judaism did your family practice when you were younger? So my parents both came from Orthodox backgrounds, um, you know, and on my dad's side, almost ultra Orthodox, and. Uh, a lot of rabbis in the family and all that. And I, I was raised, my father was a conservative rabbi, uh, which for those who don't know, is kind of more middle of the road. Uh, but we were probably more what we would call in Jewish circles, conservadox. 
So we were kind of on the more observant end of conservative, meaning that we kept Sabbath. And, you know, on Sabbath, you don't ride, you don't write, you don't tear, you don't start flames, you don't cook, things like that. Um, if you're really on it, you're not using electricity, you certainly don't smoke, things like that. And we were also strictly kosher. So, you know, raised in a home that had those sort of traditions would be the positive way of saying it. Uh, rules might be more of the negative way of saying it. But, you know, I, I'm appreciative of both of those arguments, by the way, too. So, I mean, I feel like there's there's a certain amount of uh, confining within all those rules, but there is a certain amount of beauty also in those traditions. And I, I, I can appreciate both sides. How important was Judaism as far as everyday life um, in in you know, decision-making and in, and in choosing your friends at school and in, you know, the people that you hung out with. I mean, were you, like, how ingrained into the Jewish community were you uh, as, were you as an individual? Uh, to the nth degree. So I was the firstborn, and in, in Hebrew, that word, that word is called bechor. And from a biblical standpoint, that is the offspring that has the most responsibility. So not only was I the firstborn in a Jewish observant family, I was also the firstborn in a Jewish observant family run by a rabbi. And so, you know, the way that I was raised and brought up and groomed, I mean, my dad would drag me to synagogue. I remember at the time when I was a very little kid, we lived in Duluth, Minnesota, and um, I was like maybe three or four, like some of my earlier memories. And back then, my mother would dress me up in probably what today would be called a snowmobile suit, you know, just packed in from head to toe. And I remember my father dragging me to synagogue in the middle of winter in northern Minnesota, you know, walking to synagogue. It was like 12, 13 blocks, uh, you know, maybe about a mile and, you know, in 40 degrees below zero. And, you know, for a kid who's only three or four, you know, my legs are pretty short at that time. And that like that was a pretty long walk. And because, you know, you just don't ride on Sabbath. It's just the way it is. So, you know, from there, we had moved to a couple different places. And, uh, you know, when it was time for my bar mitzvah, uh, that was sort of like the event of the century. So, you know, the amount of studying and learning and and, and I was pretty good at it. You know, I, at the time, I had a fairly decent voice and could sing all the prayers and the liturgy. And, you know, I think I did a good job. Um, but again, I was just, um, to a certain extent, you know, like you're 12, 13, you don't really know. You're just kind of towing the line. I wasn't really at that point in the rebellion mode yet. Um, but so, yeah, but it was like, yeah, you're, you're not going to... I went to private school all the way through till high school. So I was very, very sheltered until 10th grade. Like I didn't really even know much about the outside, what you would call secular world. And um, going to public high school was quite a, a, an interesting awakening for me. Um, 
I don't necessarily use awakening as a positive thing because there were some, yeah, I mean, it was a mixed school. Like it was, you know, there were some really great kids there, but there were also some thugs too. And that's at the time when I started getting that sense of, okay, there's a lot of other stuff out there beyond just what I've learned. There's a whole big world out there. And I was obviously I was very discouraged from having non-Jewish friends. Uh, I was forbidden from dating non-Jewish girls. Um, and, you know, it was it was tough for me. And so I, I was groomed, like I said, to follow this certain path and, you know, marry the nice Jewish girl and, you know, become a professional and, you know, you're going to sit on the synagogue board and your kids are going to go to Hebrew school and you're going to donate to all the charitable causes and you're going to have the little house in the suburbs. I'm so sorry for that. I don't know why this is. I got to Sorry. Totally all right. I apologize. We just got a new phone system and I turned my cell off and I didn't even realize it's behind my computer. I didn't even realize it was on my desk. So do you want to pick up somewhere and. Yeah, yeah, just keep on going. It'll be totally fine. Okay, so there was a certain expectation, obviously, that I would follow this path. And um, I, um, I I basically was not following that those orders you know like by the time i got to be 16 17 18 19 i was like yeah i don't know man i'm not sure if this is going to work for me and i remember starting my first year of college and i i was living uh at home and going to a, a very good commuter school but i wasn't going away for college and because we didn't have really money for that and um you know i just I like go be a dentist, go do this. And I started with like, you know, the science classes and the pre-med stuff and all that. And I, I was just horrible at that. Like it's, it, I think I would be better at it now cause I'm older and wiser and, you know, have a better focus and all that. But back then I was just, you know, partying and didn't have any direction. And, um, it just was a very, uh, it was a difficult time because I, I was really struggling with who the heck I was. When you were talking about that struggle of of who you really who you really were, it seems like one side was this very uh, conservative Jewish side, but but what were those other sides? I mean, what was really coming into play there that was clashing so hard with those expectations? It's a great question. The, you know, I've done a lot of work, personal work around this exact subject. So I can tell you that the problems that I were having, I don't think had to do with negativity towards Judaism. They had to do with just negativity towards being confined and pushed into a box, whatever the box was. And I felt like I just was being pinned in, and even though I didn't necessarily know what was outside of that box, I knew that I didn't want to be restricted to the box. And I have a, actually a, a, a memory that 
when I was like maybe 20, um, I got introduced to network marketing. And for those of you, I'm an, I'm an old fart, so this is going way back. There, there were only like maybe five network marketing companies back then, and the big one was Amway. And somebody had shown it to me, and I was like, okay, I had this sort of entrepreneurial ideas and thought I would want to start my own business, and this was presented in front of me. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I remember coming home and telling my parents, like, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to retire. I'm going to be, you know, in, in five or six years, I'm going to be like in my mid to late 20s. And I'm going to be like rolling in dough and I'm going to have some, I'm never going to use an alarm clock and I'm going to have some big black limo pick me up and take me away from wherever I'm working. And it's just going to be freaking awesome. And my parents just looked at me and started like laughing uncontrollably, like just completely making fun of me. I don't think it was necessarily their intent to make fun of me, but when, you know, when I look back on it now, it's like, yeah, if I had some 20 something or 19 or 20 year old telling me like, you know, something like this, you know, I'd, I'd probably find it kind of funny too. Uh, but that to a certain extent kind of also fueled that entrepreneurial spirit and also to the same extent polarized me a little bit from the path that I was supposed to be on. When you were, when you were real young, so like, fourth grade let's say um i want to talk about the uh i want to talk about that that checky story that we were uh, talking <laughs> about a little bit earlier yeah um so so maybe you could talk about that um but but i also want to know like what were your other hobbies what were your other passions what else really lit the fire inside of you um i was always 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 into music and music of all kinds. Uh, it wasn't just like necessarily the synagogue liturgical stuff, but I had a really great appreciation for that. Uh, I learned a lot of that stuff from my parents. I was always able to like harmonize with my mom and, you know, it was pretty cool. Uh, probably by, I wouldn't say fourth grade, but maybe like sixth grade, I picked up the guitar. I still play to this day. Uh, in my home, we had a beautiful baby grand piano. My sisters did all the, you know, the studying and going all the way to theory. I took maybe, I remember, two months of piano lessons. And I was blessed with a really, really good ear. And so I could hear something. And in my head, I could pretty much replicate it. And it made actually studying piano or, or any kind of reading notes very, very difficult because my ears were always ahead of my eyes. And I remember about six weeks into piano lessons and I'm playing this little, you know, simple melody. And it's like got this kind of almost like Indian, American Indian type cadence to it. And the, the teacher, I still remember her name, Mrs. Janover. I don't know how I remember that, but Mrs. Janover looks at me and she goes, you're not even reading the notes. And I'm like, oops, you know, and I pretend like I'm like I'm looking at the sheet music. Right. But it's like I've played it a couple of times. Yeah, I get it. I know how it goes. OK, boom, I got it. You know, so I've always and just it's always been Music has been a big passion of mine. I wouldn't say that I'm the the world's greatest musician, but I can pretty much play just about anything that's in my head. 
um, I can pretty much pick up an instrument and, you know, you leave it with me for a few hours and I'll kind of figure it out. And um, I've always enjoyed all kinds of music and, you know, rock and roll and funk and even country and classic and Frank Sinatra and like, you name it. I mean, anything that's got any kind of a decent melody at all to me is just it's intoxicating. And it's it's it can be mood altering too in a very good way. Let's talk about that story in fourth grade. Um, <laughs> so, can you please tell us how you got the name Shecky? So I was in Hebrew school and I was going to a private school and I don't know how I guess the the name Jeff was extremely popular back then, and there were four Jeffs in my in my class. And there's only like maybe what, 22 kids in the whole class. And I was a little bit chubby, like to, in today's standards, I would be considered skinny. That's the, the irony of all this, because all the kids now are just so much heavier. But back then, I wore what they would call huskies. And I was very ashamed of that. And there was one kid that started calling me fat boy and the other kids were kind of joking around and picking up on it. And there was this other kid that was kind of calling me Shecky. And I was like, yeah, that sounds a lot better to me than fat boy. So let's just promote that. So I would just tell kids, you know, just call me Shecky because it was a way to differentiate from the other Jeffs. And I guess I pushed it enough that eventually it stuck. And then as I left, and I think in after sixth grade, I believe it was, we moved to another city, and I went to another school, and I just started telling people, like, that's my nickname, and then it just stuck. And, you know, since moved a couple times, and I, I you know, like even some of my old uh, college friends who I go see every once in a while back in Minnesota, there are some of them now, you know, 20, 30 years later that... I think they kind of know what my full name is, but that it doesn't really matter. It's like, oh, yeah, Shecky's in town, you know. So it's just kind of one of these things that's become a very big part of who I am. You said you moved at or in sixth grade. How did you make that transition as a, you know, as a sixth grader? Like, how did you how did you make that transition of moving and getting all new friends and learning this whole new place and getting into a whole new community. What was that like for you? Yeah, that was tough. We uh, we moved, you know, again, my dad being a rabbi, we had he would get different pulpits and we were living in Denver, which I loved. And the school that I was going to in Denver was an orthodox school. So my dad, as I mentioned, was conservative and I was considered in that group, kind of almost the non-observant trash, right? Because all these other kids around me were more observant than I was. And um, we moved to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which also a great city. And I went to a Hebrew school there, but the community there just in general was far less observant. And so then I'm put in this situation where not only am I, you know, the new kid in class, but, you know, and going into junior high, I was going into seventh grade, I remember, and it was like, you know, 
it's kind of a very transitional period as you're, you know, going through puberty and all that stuff. And then I was considered this over observant freak in that class. So I went from being a freak one way to a freak in the in the other way. And uh, it was challenging. You know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, look, kids are super resilient and it's been a lot of years. So I don't necessarily look at that and think like, you know, I, I, I look back on it as this like very, very difficult period, but I do remember it as challenging. I don't remember it as being an unhappy time, I guess is what I'm saying. And so it's, um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was some interesting times back then. And a lot of kids asking me a lot of questions and, um, and I think that was the original fueling of some of my rebellion because those kids would say, well, you know, cause now we're already getting to that point where like smoking is cool and experimenting with weed and all this other kind of stuff and drinking. And I was like, well, you can't have that drink. You can't smoke that cigarette. You can't smoke that joint. Why not? Because you're the rabbi's son. And it's like, oh shit. You know, now I got to start thinking like, I have to prove to them that I'm cool by doing all that stuff. So that's kind of how the initial rebellious period started. Let's dive into that a little bit more because it would seem to me like you you would be starting this rebellious phase, but then you probably didn't want to show that too much in in your home. How did that how did that all work where you were moving more towards this re- rebellious side, um, but you're st- you still were the son of, of a rabbi. Like, how did that really work? Geography. <laughs> so what I would do is, out of respect for my dad, I would want to go do all this crazy shit. So I would just go to the other side of town. And I, I made, uh, this was like, by then I'm like 16, 17, I'm already driving. And, um, I would just make different friends on another side of town and or acquaintances or whatever. And, uh, I would just go party with them and that way nobody would be the wiser. And I could kind of let my freaky side come out and nobody would really know the difference. As you were moving into college, I believe you said that you started with your science classes and you weren't really digging it so much back then. How how did that transform over time? Like, what did you do as you uh, moved through college? Um, well, the first couple of years I was in a commuter college and uh, I did not do well, but I, I did well enough to get a transfer and I, you know, I changed majors like two or three different times. And, you know, I was just kind of, like I said, I, I wasn't really sure who I was back then. And, um, I ended up transferring and going away to school. Um, I went back to the U S went to university of Minnesota, um, and loved it there and got into a fraternity into a Jewish fraternity and but at the time this particular fraternity was just like an animal house you're probably too young to remember that movie animal house but it was it's a freaking awesome movie if you ever get a chance to see it and um it's they had lost their charter they had just gotten back on campus and it was really just a bunch of jewish guys that were 
professional partiers. And you know, a lot of them ended up turning out to be really great guys and went on to have very, very successful careers. Um, but we uh, we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was that was a, a really, really great time because I was like I was finally away from my parents. And the reality at that point is, you know, going into my junior year in college, I remember having this very vivid feeling like, ah, finally, now I can find out who Jeff Schechter, a.k.a. Shecky, is and not who is the rabbi's son. Right. So it's like I can just be me, whatever that means. I didn't even know what that meant, but at least it created a situation of complete exploration of that. And that was a, a time for me of, of really great personal growth. So what did you find out? I mean, what were some of those breakthroughs that started to happen? Well, it took a long time to figure that stuff out, um, mostly because when I look back on it, I smoked a lot of weed back then. And, um, and I, looking back on it now, I was medicating. I was really not um, really sure how to address any of that. And I, I floundered around for a long time through a bunch of different careers and, you know, drove a taxi cab for a while and, you know, just doing what I could to make, and meet, make ends meet. And, you know, I was involved in sales and I did really well in sales just because I'm pretty outgoing and pretty friendly. Um, and, but it just took me a lot of years to find myself. You know, I never married and uh, I never really had the, at the time, the, the confidence in myself to, to be married or to say, hey, like, God, I can barely support myself. How the heck am I, would I support a family? You know, like it's just not in the cards for me right now. And it, it really wasn't until probably I hit 30, 31, 32 in my early 30s that I really start saying, you know, Shecky, you may want to start thinking about getting your shit together, dude. Like it's really uh, like, it, you know, you're getting older and um, it, it's really whatever you're doing it like it's OK. You're like you're having fun, but like you're not really building on anything. You're not building anything for yourself. You're not creating any kind of future for yourself. And, you know, you, I started asking some really, really deep questions about like, you know, what is it deep down that I really want? What What is important to me? What are my values, right? Forget about what mom and dad said. What are my values? What, you know, what's in here? And, you know, when you medicate a lot, it becomes very difficult to really listen carefully to what's inside that inner voice. So I remember at the time I really started cutting way back on weed. I was a very, very heavy cigarette smoker at the time. I quit smoking cold turkey. Um, I started losing weight. I you know, got in better shape and all that. And I just really started changing myself and just started saying, okay, my values are really health is an important value to me. And I started becoming, becoming much more active and working out. Um, and, um, entrepreneurial like freedom has always been a big word for me and and maybe it's a big word because of the lack of freedom in my upbringing certainly that's a an element um but it it, it parlayed into um just a freedom within the working world too it's like i you know i saw a lot of my contemporaries 
you know, and in my generation, I'm a baby boomer. I don't, you know, make any, I'm not hiding that. Um, in the baby boomer generation, we were just taught, you know, like you go to school, you get a good education, you get a career, you spend 30, 40 years with that career, you get good at it, you retire probably from the same company, you get the gold watch, you get a little pension, and, and there, there's your life. That's the whole path. There is no real deviation from that. That, that equals success. And that never really worked for me, obviously, because I, to me, that felt very much like a ball and chain. And I said, no, I, I really want to have my own business. I really want to create certain freedoms for myself. You know, if I want to take a six week vacation, I want to take a six week vacation. I don't, I don't want to be relegated to the two weeks that my employer is saying I have to go. And I remember being, I lived in Texas most of my adult life. And I remember being a, uh, uh, this was a kind of a defining moment for me that speaks to this freedom. And I was selling cars. I was really good at selling cars. Not because I was a bullshitter, because I would just tell people the way it is. Like, yeah, we'll get you a good deal. I'll go to bat for you. But no, you can't buy it for $20,000 off, right? So it's, it's a brand new car. There's costs. So I remember one of my best buddies from Minnesota was getting married and I was going to the wedding and I had tickets and I was going and my boss at the time, the sales manager at this Honda dealership was like, no, you're not going. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, it's on a Saturday. You're going away for a weekend. Saturdays are like, holy days in the car business. This is when we have all of our traffic. This is when we have all of our sales. And I go, yeah, I know. I told you about this like two months ago. It's like my best friend's getting married. He's like, you can't go. And am I allowed to cuss on this show, Absolutely. by the way? Absolutely. Okay. All right, good. Because I tend to cuss sometimes, not all the time. But um, I basically just looked at him and said, fuck you, I quit. Like it just popped out of my mouth. Because I was like, Dude, like, this is my fucking best friend. Like, I'm going to this wedding. I don't even care if I have a job when I come back. I mean, I know I can sell. I'll go sell somewhere else. And that was a, a very defining moment because it was when I was finally like, you know, and th this sales manager had this very kind of like strong personality, you know, and he was very much wanted to keep, you know, the sales team, you know, like under his thumb. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that management style because it worked for him. Uh, we did well and we had a very, very successful store and I made good money there. So it was difficult for me to just say I quit um, because I knew I'd be giving up quite a bit of in quite a bit of income. But I just did. I just quit. I walked out. I like, you know, here's my keys to the store. You know, here's my employee card, whatever it is. I'm done. I'm out. I just walked out. I was pissed off. I got in my car I drove off and just remember screaming in my car and was like, okay. And I went to the wedding and, um, I came back in town and, uh, walked into the dealership. I just was kind of, I was wondering, like, I wonder if like, I know I'm one of their best salesmen. So I'm like, I'm wondering if I really did indeed quit, like what would happen? This is like a little experiment. What would happen if I just showed up as if nothing happened and just, went back into my office. And so that's what I did. And it worked. 
you know, like I was gone for, I don't know, whatever it was, three, four days. And I just walked back in. It's like, you know, in a, it, it was, there was, there were many lessons there, but one of them is for the most part for many businesses, really, it's all about the cash, right? They knew that I could generate a certain amount of profits for them because of my sales skills. So it's like, well, why wouldn't we want this dude back? You know, why wouldn't, let's not rock the boat. But it also created a situation where I definitely had more respect for my sales manager too, because I stood up for what I believed in. Uh, but it, it was also one of those moments where I just realized, yes, freedom to me is really important. And it's very clear to me that this kind of job is not the kind of thing that I'm going to be doing my whole life with these kind of crazy hours. And like the car business itself as a whole another animal that could be three more episodes which we don't want to go into uh but it's a very difficult life and um it's it which was great because it fueled even more of my entrepreneurial spirit to get the hell out of there and go do other things which is ultimately what ended up happening can you talk about those entrepreneurial ventures that you did pursue because i, I believe you mentioned how you had a few different things that you tried and some worked and some didn't work. Can you really bring us through that chronology? Um, because it seems like it's kind of parallel to the the jobs that you, that you were working on. Um, but I'm very interested to know, like, what was that timeline like uh, of your entrepreneurial pursuits? Well, I already mentioned that I had started with um, network marketing and um, to me, that was always, um, I always had some sort of network marketing gig on the side, even when I was selling cars, just because I felt like it was the kind of situation that had the, the promise of some sort of passive income. And passive income to me equals freedom. Like if you're not just working in a linear fashion, do X, earn Y, continue to do X, continue to earn Y, you know, passive income is more do X and Y for a while, but there's also a Z that's happening. And the Z is there's a certain amount of passive income. So you can leverage that into some sense of freedom, time freedom. And um, so I was, I had, I had been involved in a number of different ones. That was sort of my go-to method for many years because barrier to entry, let's face it, is very low. And by the way, even though I am not, I want to go on record on your show as saying, even though I had been involved in many network marketing companies, and even though I'm not now, I'm not against that. I, I think for, for many people that have entrepreneurial spirit, it's a darn good starting point because you've got, you know, a built-in system that you can plug into. Um, you've got a built-in product line. You've got a, you know, built-in commission structure. And, you know, it's what you put into it. Right. And there's certainly there are some that are better than others and could be argued. So so I had a long history with network marketing companies. And eventually I got to a point where I had some success with some of them, but there was a lot of attrition. And, you know, you'd sponsor somebody and then they would drop out. And and this this was all sort of pre-Internet days, too. Don't forget. So everything was done, you know, belly to belly and getting invited to people's houses and drawing charts on whiteboards and things like that. And I mean, that's just the way we did things back then, you know, and you had like these little flip charts to go through a presentation. Um, it, the world is just very different now because of the internet and 
you know, there are certain elements of marketing that are very much the same, but there are certain things that are very much enhanced. And so anyway, ultimately, um, I ended up starting a uh, payroll processing company down in Texas. And this was at the time when technology was starting to evolve and there were these little, uh, you remember the little swipe machines that they had for the credit cards? Well, this was back, you know, they all had little modems in them. And back then, just when credit cards started getting magnetic strips on them, when you would go buy something at the store, they weren't using the the metal thing and then getting on the phone and calling in a uh, uh, an approval anymore, right? Now, there you know you would there would be a dial-up modem. So we looked at that, and I found this company out of Dallas that was taking these little things and reprogramming that reprogramming them and turning them into time clocks. So I'm like. This is really interesting. What if that time clock could be put on an employer's side, right? And then the times were downloaded to me at my office. I had all the times. What if I automated their payroll? Like that would be a really cool service. So I found some people that were doing that and plugged into a system. It wasn't a franchise, but, you know, I was able to buy like a, like a license to do that stuff. And I said, I can sell, I can go out and pitch businesses. So I ended up doing that and quitting my job. And um, shortly thereafter, my younger brother, who was more technical than I am, became a partner. And um, he, we had a pretty nice run for about 10 years. And uh, it was a pretty solid business for a while. And then we, things started deteriorating, as did our relationship. And that's a whole other story. And, um, but he, um, we, we eventually, I eventually sold off to him and went off to do other things. And um, then I, that was at the time when the internet was starting to become much bigger. And I started looking at, okay, wait a minute. I know sales, I know marketing. The internet's like this amazing tool where you can just put yourself out there to everybody and get in front of the right people in a very economical way. So that's when I started um, I was living in San Antonio at the time, and I started traveling back and forth up to Austin. Most people that know that geography know those two cities are somewhat different from each other, but they're very close to each other geographically. It's only like 78 miles from downtown to downtown. So in Austin, there was just this incredible tech vibe and entrepreneurial vibe going on and uh, people really starting to push the envelope on internet marketing, digital marketing. And I started going to some meetup groups up there and I really caught the bug and started really getting more curious about copywriting and some of the other things that were involved. And, you know, back then everybody was doing these long form sales letters that, you know, you'd have to read through 40 miles of a sales pitch just to get to the shopping cart. And, you know, there wasn't things like Shopify and, you know, like it was difficult then, like you had to have a programmer to help you build sites and all that other kind of stuff. But, but I dipped my toe in that water and got connected to some really, really amazing people and just got involved in, in other things from there and did some of my own projects and got back in the car business briefly just to kind of fuel some of those 
you know, entrepreneurial ventures because I couldn't make a living off of them at the beginning and eventually went to work with a buddy of mine who had a, a social media company and did, did, he was doing some Facebook ads for people and I learned some of that, but I, I hated the being in the agency metric side and looking at spreadsheets all day. So I noticed that he was doing a lot of consulting with his clients. So I actually helped him open a consulting division and we helped a lot of business partner, business owners uh, get a better grip on their digital marketing and guided them through the process. And one of my best students was a guy named Jack Gibson who lives up in Michigan and Jack Gibson, ironically, is does really well in network marketing. <laughs> so it's amazing how things come full circle. And so Jack and I, I, you know, he was he was one of those guys that bought all the upsells, right? So he came into our group class, then he came into our small group coaching, then he did some one-on-one -on -one stuff with me, and we had a really I just like had this, you know, sometimes people in your life just stand out, right? And this cat just stood out like he smart, friendly, but he had this like work ethic, like, hey, man, like, let's just get it done, you know, and almost to a point where it's almost like bull in the china shop kind of thing. Uh, but I had just an incredible respect for this guy. And we had a just a professional relationship, but a phone friendship. I had never met the guy in person. He is in Michigan. I'm in Texas. And he. uh he ended up becoming my current business partner. So, so you just never know how things are going to happen. But that kind of catches you up a little bit. So now that you guys are partners, um, what is your biggest focus right now? Like what business are you really um, all, all in on right now? Because I know you're the, you're the founder and CEO or co-founder and CEO um, of high return real estate. Is that the business that y'all started together? Yeah. And it's, it was weird how it started. Like he reached out to me one day and he's like, dude, you know, I live like three hours from Indianapolis and I've been buying some, some rental properties there from a group in Indianapolis. And they have this model that's called turnkey. And I'm like, huh, I don't really know what that is. And it's interesting that I don't know what it is because one of my businesses prior to moving to Austin was a flipping business. I used to buy and, you know, fix up properties and sell them. I had a partner that had a construction background. And, you know, when the 0809 crash happened in real estate, I pretty much got my ass handed to me on a silver platter. And so I had kind of sworn off real estate, but I, I did not know what um, turnkey was, but he kind of explained like, Hey, they, They'll go and acquire the property, they'll rehab it, they'll put a tenant in it, they'll manage it. It's kind of somewhat hands-off, but they've got some pretty nice returns. And he said, you know, I've bought a few properties from them, doing pretty well. And he says, I, you know, since you kind of mentor me in my network marketing company, would you mind taking a look at this model? And I said, well, why do you, I don't understand why you want me to take a look at this model. He said, because I've been recommending these guys to some of my friends and family. And they're getting some good returns, but the turnkey guys are paying me a commission. For Sorry. Sorry. There's a, um, the turnkey guys are paying me a commission for doing this, right? So anyway, I, um, uh, 
I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at it. He says, look, I value your opinion. Can you look at it just from a marketing standpoint? Does this uh, look like a valuable business for you? So, yeah, all right. You know, so we, we get on the phone and we book a consulting call. It's like maybe an hour. And I'm like, dude, you're my friend. It's no charge. Like, whatever. And um, in any case, that phone call went from one hour to three and a half. And the energy and the ideas and things that came out of it were just incredible. And I just felt like I was doing a service for Jack. Like I had no, I wasn't looking about going into business with him, whatever. But I, just as a courtesy, I typed up a, a long email about all the ideas that had come out of it. You know, like who's maybe your target market, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, anyway, um, the next day he called me up and he goes, okay, let's do it. And I'm like, WTF, like, let's do what? And he's like, I want to go into business with you. And I'm like, huh, well, that's interesting. So it ironically, um, and this is a, a little side story that I think is important to the story. About six weeks earlier, I had had not a disagreement with my then employer, but my buddy that I was working with in his social media company, you know, they were a small business. And money was tight, and they were just trying to change the whole arrangement of of how they were paying me. You know, like there was a couple months where they were they'd written me checks for twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars for the money that they were bringing in. And it's like, well, you know, we want to put you on on a flat salary of five k a month. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't want, I don't want that. You know, like freedom, freedom, right? I don't want that. So I that we had a couple days of arguments and I was recovering from a surgery and it was just a weird time. And I remember writing on my whiteboard at home. I just like, OK, I this is what I want in my next gig. And I wrote down, I want to go back into being in business for myself. I want to sell a high ticket item, something that, you know, I can make a strong amount for each sale. Um, I want to be the best in my space. Absolutely. I want to, you know, be the premium. Um, I want to leverage my consultative selling skills. I want to leverage my digital marketing skills. And oh, by the way, I don't want to work alone. I want a business partner. Though I didn't even say real estate or anything like that. These are the things that I had written up on my board and in my crappy lefty, you know, chicken scratching, they were just sitting there like in a little space, maybe this big, right? Like, and then after I hang up on that call with Jack, I happen to look up at the whiteboard and like, huh, check, 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 right? So like it was unbelievable. So I knew that there was some kind of strong signal there from the universe. So we got involved and we started, long story even longer, we started peddling some of the properties from this other company, uh, but very, very quickly, the wheels fell off. And by this point, by the way, I had already left Austin, moved to Indianapolis, much to my chagrin, like I, I much rather live in the warm weather, but I moved to Indianapolis to start this company and be closer to Jack and, you know, be on the ground where the properties were because we had investors coming to town, wanted to see what we were up to. But the company that was behind us sucked. Like they were lying and they weren't doing rehabs and there, there was all kinds of craziness going on and squatters and like, oh my God, I, I can't put my name to this. Like not only am I not the best in my space, I'm the absolute worst. 
So Jack and I just, you know, had to kind of come to grips and go, well, we're either scrapping the company and I'm going to move back to Texas or we're going to figure this shit out. And so we ended up building a company from the ground up. We ended up building a rehab team. We ended up building, uh, we partnered with some other property management companies for a while. That didn't work out. We ended up building our own and partnering with some other guys that helped us build a property management team. Now we're building a, our own construction teams. So we have basically built this gargantuan machine that is way, 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 way more than what I had ever bargained for. And Jack and I still joke around to this day because that was almost three years ago that had we known what we were getting into, we absolutely never would have done it. Never. But at the same time, now we've got a pretty strong company, right? So um, it's so to, to answer your question in, in long form, we have essentially a done-for-you service. It's called High Return Real Estate. We operate right now only in Indianapolis. The reason that we're here is because the prices here are inexpensive, but more importantly, the price-to-rent ratios are freaking phenomenal. Uh, we, for the most part, sell little C-class. They're not the prettiest stuff. They're, they're you know, all five to 20 minutes from downtown. We do some duplexes, but mostly single-family homes. We rent them typically to working-class Americans, probably more, you know, blue-collar service workers. These aren't people with a lot of money. They're, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollar a month renters. Uh, they're kind of living hand-to-mouth. But in relation to what the investor pays for the property, there are some really, really strong returns, and we handle everything for them, including the ongoing maintenance and all that other kind of stuff. And uh, it's growing really nicely now because we've built a name for ourselves. We, too, have a podcast. And uh, it's been uh, quite a roller coaster ride, but uh, the experience has been invaluable. And I, looking back, I would not trade it for anything. So, Shecky, can you really take a few minutes to, to brag a little bit and, and really share with us like how big of a company you've you've actually built? Like, what are some of the really cool things that y'all been able to accomplish in the last couple of years? Well, what I just mentioned by far would eclipse anything else as far as accomplishments. Because when you when you go into a business thinking, well, all I got to do is put some. Mar I'm a marketing guy, so all I got to do is put some marketing together, and you know, we'll sell somebody else's stuff. They'll take care of all the hard part, right? We just have to, you know, be nice to people and be professional and present information correctly and close deals, right? Seemed pretty simple. Uh, I had no inkling of, you know, wanting to start um, a rehab company, a construction company, you know, property management company, all that other kind of stuff. I just, I just didn't want to do that. So um, that has been probably the biggest challenge. But the other thing is we have, you know, we have good repeat business. Uh, you know, there, I would say, admittedly, not everything is perfect. It's real estate, so it's not a perfect world. I can't sit here and tell you that every single investor we have is perfectly happy and whatever. I mean, look, there sometimes renters are crappy 
and they don't take care of the property or we have to evict them because they're not paying whatever. And there is a there is a dark, ugly side to it. But we you know, we we take care of it quickly. We, you know, share the information with the investor. But we are I think our reputation has been developed more on the fact that we are guys that always do what we say we're going to do, uh, because there's a lot of people in the real estate business that are not not nearly as transparent, especially in our space in the turnkey space. And one of the things that, for example, one of the things that we noticed is that there were many companies selling kind of with a lot of smoke and mirrors. Like they didn't necessarily want you to see the actual condition of the property or whatever. So we just said, look, we're just gonna take the opposite approach. Here's here's the list of everything we did to the property, right? Here's our scope of repairs. And oh, by the way, here, here we called in a third party inspector at that that is not us it's just a regular inspector that's going to do a uh, inspection on the property and oh by the way here's the inspection report so here's here's validation from a third party as to the exact condition of the property so this is so this is what we have on our website what we call a cfo cash flow opportunity like a mini pro forma and we will put on there here's what the taxes are we've researched them Here's what the insurance costs. We've gotten you a quote. So here's what your ongoing costs are. And we figured out a certain percentage for vacancy rate based on our experience and rehab and repairs. That certainly is a guess. And, you know, you could do more or less, whatever. But this is our best guess as to how the property is performing right frickin now. Now, what I mean by right now is the other step that we took is we said, hmm, an investor's buying turnkey. They want a nice property, but what's the most important thing to them? It's only two words, cash flow. So we made the decision to also tenant the property before selling it to the investor. So they are walking into a cash flowing property and it's fairly unique in our space, right? And that word turnkey is a very misused word, often bastardized and so we just said, we're just going to go all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum. And um, that has proven to be really, really great for our growth and for our repeat business, because although certainly people want to do business with um, people that they trust, you know, there's an old saying in our industry, trust, but validate. And, and it's good advice. I mean, I, I would tell any investor out there, yes, you absolutely should do your due diligence. I mean, I'm just going to put a property out there on our website, but you still should be doing your research about neighborhoods and other things like that. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything is done for you. That's just our best guess of how it's performing right now. And no, we're not going to do things like our competitors do where we start putting in projections of rent going up year after year and property values going up and therefore you can finance more and all these other, you know, those are just projections, right? It's not, you know, look, this is how it's performing right now. Okay. So if it's doing pretty good today, yeah, there's a pretty high likelihood it could go up, but it could go down a little bit, but we're just being straightforward guys. And it, that has just worked really, really, really well. And, and honestly, Ben, it's been difficult to get to that point because, you know, obviously we have to do a better job of rehab. We, you know, we have to, we, our hold times become longer. So we've got to be more and more and more efficient about that. So it's, it's just a, um, 
I would say that's probably the best thing we've done. And now we've got, you know, obviously we're managing now, I think we're approaching as of this morning, 440 something doors around Indianapolis. So no, we're not as big as we want to be, uh, but we definitely got some pretty good things going on here and we've got a you know pretty good history under our belt now. And, you know, the next period for us is just, taking that to the next level, building better teams, building better customer service, you know, building better communication with our investor base, building better systems. We, we now have some warehouse space behind us that we're about to start leveraging and that helps us create even more economies of scale. So then we can hopefully create even better deals for our investors. Along this whole journey of entrepreneurship and business and figuring out who you were, how did your how did your personal life uh, evolve parallel to to all of the business stuff? What was going on? Um, what was going on for Shecky? Um, <laughs> my first inclination was like, "What personal life?" <laughs> but that's not entirely true. So. The Austin, the years in Austin, like I've only been in Indy three years and Austin has a certain vibe to it. And I don't know if this was because of my religious background or whatever, but there is a fairly strong uh, sense of spiritual community in Austin. There's a huge yoga community there and a very, very good buddy of mine who actually worked with me in the agency. That's how we got to be good friends. Um, turned me on to yoga. And um, as a guy who was, you know, fairly fit and athletic or whatever, I was like, wow, this is kicking my ass. And um, but more so, I started seeing that there were a lot of other layers to doing yoga. You know, there were and, and it's not to say that this this way for everybody. It just became this way as I evolved through my yoga practice. Like this is a time for me to introspect and get more in touch with myself and that inner voice and all that. And so and I started going to more like, you know, meditation circles and drum circles and, you know, other things that were non-religious forms of ritual and spirituality and and was very much supported by that community in Austin. And um, it has taken me longer to find people like that in Indianapolis, but it does exist. And, you know, the best part about all this, and some people might disagree with that, but, you know, notwithstanding what we see and hear on mainstream news, there is no question in my mind that the consciousness of the planet is rising everywhere. And people becoming are becoming more what your generation would say woke, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's really really wonderful to see that. And so I have been on this journey where, you know, I'm just trying to spend some alone time every day, and um, whether that's you know in my own home or in the yoga studio or whatever, it's um, I feel like it's important uh, because I. Much more, so, much more so now than ever before, especially being an entrepreneur, do everything I can to operate from my heart rather than my brain. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of the copywriting for our business. And a week ago, we had this 
property. I don't know. We were just, we sell, we send out, you know, emails about properties to our list. And I wrote this one that was kind of a little more, I don't know, it was a little more hypey and it just, I don't know. And I, I, I sent the uh, test out to my, the team that I work with here, my partner and some of the other people that work with us. And I remember my words, I just said, this feels icky, right? Like what CEO businessman is going to say that, all right? Like 10 years ago, I would have never said that, you know? I might have said, okay, this this looks a little bit hypey to me or whatever, but this feels icky. And it's like, I don't want to send anything out that feels icky. So sure shit, I said, I'm going to just let it sit for a minute. And the next day I went and rewrote the email and I just got into myself and into my space. And I just said, you know, let me put myself in the, the mindset of the person on the other end that's reading it. Can we just have a one-to-one -one conversation? Let me just tell the best parts about this property. Let's be high vibe, not low vibe. And literally the property sold within minutes of that email going out. Minutes. I think it was like 20 minutes. We had a signed purchase agreement. You know, because somebody wrote and said, yeah, whatever. And, and they had already seen the property on our website. But the supporting information that had come from the email was enough to put them over the edge. And, and, and when I say put them over the edge, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, it was a good decision for them. It was a great property. So, but it's just, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, the, it's been very difficult for me. One of my bigger struggles have been like, how the heck do I get out of my brain? Because I'm, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy and logical and all that kind of stuff. How do I get out of my brain and start operating more from a heart-centered way? And, uh, you know, thankfully, I've got a business partner that agrees with that heart-centered way. And, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to always do what's right for our clients. And we're going to operate in a heart-centered way. And that served us extremely well. I think that has a, been a big key to our success. How has your, I know we're kind of going full circle here, um, but how has your Judaism evolved as you've gotten, uh, as you've gotten more mature and, and, and wiser and you've been on this journey? Um, I am probably stronger than ever from a cultural standpoint, Jewish. Um, you know, I, I love many of the traditions. Um, I like Hanukkah. You know, I, I, I like Passover seders. I like all the foods, you know. I mean, I don't ever hide. I think there are, there are plenty of Jews out there that want to assimilate. Uh, and I'm not judging it. Like I get it because, you know, from a business standpoint, uh, there may be a lot of people that feel anti-Semitic and they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be labeled as a Jew for whatever reason, you know, all the other bad things you could say about Jewish people. Um, but the reality is there, there's good and bad within every demographic group. And I'm very proud of it. I have learned to separate the, you know, sort of restrictive past and, you know, the rules-based stuff to growing into an appreciation for the culture and the wisdom. And, you know, for example, when I look back on, you know, my parents saying, you know, you should be one of these four things, you know, Education is just so highly valued in Jewish culture and and accomplishment and 
and doing and, and becoming and achieving. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, like, it, you know, be the best that you can be. There's nothing wrong with that message at all. So it just took me a long time and a very convoluted road to get to the point where I could appreciate that, you know? So an, a, a joke, if you will, an, a, or a story, uh, just to illuminate this thing. So, you know, there's all this conversation about uh, abortion, right? And many of these different, you know, religious and moral groups in our country always argue about when is, when is the fetus actually viable? When is it considered a full human being, right? So in Jewish circles, when is a when is it considered to be a fully like a viable fetus, fully functioning human being? Do you know the answer? I do not. When he graduates from med school. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so obviously being Jewish, I can joke around about Jewish. But even in that joke, there's a lot of you know, it reveals a lot about Jewish culture, right? So I'm appreciative of that stuff, right? And um, so I, I make no bones about the fact, like I'm coming on your podcast openly speaking about, you know, my past and, you know, anybody that asks me and, you know, I'll often joke around about it, you know, and all my business partners give me shit about it and whatever. And, you know, we just have fun with it. And it's like, I just look at the same thing. It's like, I'm going to go out and be the best version that I can be. And hopefully I do my part to put out to the world that, Hey, you know, maybe we don't control all the banks and maybe we don't have horns growing out of our head. You know, like we're pretty cool people for the most part, you know, um, but like I said, there's good and bad in everybody. I know some Jews that are complete assholes, um, but I know them in other demographics as well. You know, so it's uh, it, it's there's going to be that across every strata. So, Shecky, I appreciate the time that we've been able to share together, and I really appreciate you coming on the interview. Um, I have a few more questions for you, and then uh, then we'll wrap right on up. Of course. Um, one of the bedrocks of this show is connection, right? Connection between you and I as friends, you and I as guest and host, you and the audience, me and the audience, the audience members uh, between each other. And I've been fascinated by connection, human connection, and, and what constitutes it and how you develop it. So I'm really interested to learn your philosophy on how do you build or craft or create truly deep, meaningful and authentic human connection? Boy, that's a big question. Um, <clears throat> it's a great question. There are many ways to do that. First of all, as I have become more in touch with my inner voice, my inner heart versus my brain, I tend to listen to that more to see do, what am I feeling Versus what am I thinking? So like I feel a nice connection to you, right? We have a, you know, it's been a great interview and um, I look for that. So some of that is just practice. Are you out there looking to feel a certain way? Um, sharing 
great experiences with people, right? Like just to go, like, for example, you want to go get connected to somebody, you know, just go do something fun with them, go on a hike with them, go bowling with them, you know, whatever, just go do something fun. I don't necessarily recommend getting drunk with them, but go, go do some fun, healthy activity with them or do something challenging or, you know, go, go to, go, go to a trivia challenge, you know, go, whatever, go to something where you can interact with each other, go have coffee with them, you know, um, go, you know, go, you know, look at a business, you know, go to a seminar together and then talk about it afterwards. So I think anything that's a good shared experience uh, is the kind of thing that can create connection. I mean, obviously, like I look at at Jack and myself, uh, you know, when we started, certainly we had a good connection. And I had already mentioned that even though we had never met, we already had a good connection. But the level of that connection now, like I look at that now versus what we were back then, like his kids, like I, I'm Uncle Shecky. I show up, I sleep in the guest room, you know, like it's, it's, you know, we, we talk about a lot of personal stuff, even though we're, you know, we're business partners and we live three hours away, but we've had a lot of challenges together in building this business. So as a result, it's made us just extremely close, right? So anytime you're going to go through challenges with people, and that's also another shared experience that can bring you much closer. But I think the overall answer is you just have to be open for it. You have to be looking for it. Um, it's also very easy for us to blow off people and label them and go, oh, they're just a bitch or he's just an ass or or they're just having a bad day or I'm just going to move away. But we also know when we experience negative energy or energy that's repelling us. And I try to listen for that, too. And I try to go, is this a person that's just generally an ass or is it somebody that maybe is a really great person and is just having a bad day? How can I truly listen? Because the reality is most humans just want to be heard. They want to be validated. They want to be, hey, man, you know, what's going on? Right. And just sit and listen. And I think that can go a long way towards really creating some fantastic connection. Um, one more thing. I know I'm very verbose, but we do have a good connection. Um, in relation to dating, it's interesting now, and I, and I mentioned this to a woman that I see on occasion, um, that you can relate to this because you're much younger than me. So when I was in my 20s and 30s, Everything about connection with a woman had to be about getting her in bed. It was always sexual, all right? And, and ladies, if you're listening, I'm not trying to be crass, but guys operate with their penis. It's just the way it is, right? Like, it's just the way we're built. Just get used to it, okay? But at the same time, as you get older, right, you start your sex drive diminishes a little bit. Not that mine's gone. I mean, I love sex, but it's you start to start thinking and realizing and feeling that there are a lot of other things that are more important. So whereas, you know, it's maybe 80, 20 is the wrong rule, but it used to be like 80 percent of it was, is she hot? 
you know, is she good and bad? Is she going to sleep with me? All the other kind of stuff. And then maybe 20%. So for the sake of the hot girl, it's like, I'll put up with all kinds of shit if she's hot and I'm getting laid. Like it just, it just is. That's, that's, so that's how the connection to use your word was created. It is absolutely the opposite now. Like it's, you know, sure. Sex is an important component of a relationship, but when I, am out meeting women and dating and whatever, I am looking for a connection. Is this person on the same level with me intellectually? Do they have similar lifestyle? Do they have certain things that are important to them? What's our level of communication like? Is she really like feeling me? Am I feeling her? You know, because, you know, does she have a good sense of humor? Can we laugh at the same stuff? Can we, do we want to share more experiences so we can get even closer? Because if all that stuff is in place, the sex part will take care of itself. It'll be fine, right? So my priorities have completely flip-flopped in that regard. And I will say in that realm, it is much better for connection and much better for successful relationships romantically. What is your biggest fear? Uh, my biggest fear is that we're not going to sell enough properties and, you know, I'm going to be sitting on the street corner with a, a a cup and asking for change. You know, I mean, I, I think every entrepreneur, you like, I'm a really positive guy. And I always, you know, I think in terms of abundance and I meditate on that, whatever, but there's always that, that little voice in the back of the head, like, you know, what if I screw this up? You know, like, and I don't think we will, like we're doing really, really well and we continue to grow, but, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've been down on my luck before. I mean, I'll figure it out, you know, but currently, because as hard as we've worked to get here, uh, I would hate to see that go to waste. It's been a, it's been a long road. So, Jackie, I, I'm, again, so appreciative of the, uh, the time we've been able to share together. Um, I have two more, two more questions for you. Yep. Um, the first is, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Um, probably the biggest issue that I have or my, my challenge with myself I had already mentioned is getting out of the logic and being into the feeling. I still am challenged by that. Um, and my health being uh, an extremely high value for me, I can tend to be somewhat judgmental of people that don't share that. So, um, you know, I try to keep my comments to myself in that regard. Uh, but that's definitely something that I, that I struggle with. Like, how are you going to put that piece of crap in your mouth? And then two days later, I'm eating a piece of candy. So it's like, I'm judgmental towards them, but usually myself, it's like, Oh, well, it's just a moment. I've, slipped with my discipline. So we'll just move on, you know, and, and it's amazing how that can happen. I'm very conscious of it, which is a great starting point, but that's one of my deep, dark secrets. Last question. Um, and it's a little bit of a selfish question. So I'd appreciate it if you, uh, if you humor me here. Um, I'm 24. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple different businesses and the show is my greatest passion. What question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? <laughs> Interestingly, that's my favorite question to ask our guests on our podcast. 
And it always puts people on the spot, you know. Um, but I think the question that you should be asking me is what what is the next or just as important to you as your business? Because obviously your business is extremely important. So that would be the question that I would ask me. And the answer is true love. Um, I have never been married and I have been close a couple times. I have had some really amazing women in my life over the years. And um, even though I'm older, I'm still open to marriage and kids. Um, it just never happened. And um, but now that I had made that comment about, you know, the 80 20 flip flop of romantic and the work that I have done on myself, I am very certain that I would make a much better mate for somebody now than ever before previously in my life. So it's not for the females that are single out there listening. It's not necessarily a big pitch, but that's just how I feel. And like anything else that uh, I'm tend to be more of an all or none guy. I have a sometimes hard time compromising. That is an area where I have been very unwilling to compromise. I do not want a half-assed relationship. And I see the great majority of Americans, to me, 99% of them are in half-assed relationships, you know, and um, come home, eat some junk food, you know, watch Orange is the New Black, you know, go to bed, get up, go to work, do the same thing all over again, turn around and shit, 30 years have gone by. And now I'm just with some fat old person that never really did any work on themselves, you know, and now I'm resentful. And so I, those are, those are the things I think about. And it's like, no, I don't want that. I want to be able to be in a situation where I can really create, co-create something wonderful and magical with somebody who is willing to do the work because that, that's not going to happen by itself. And again, I find that as I'm out there in the dating world, there are very few people willing to do that work. So that's, that's my, my deepest hope. Well, Shecky, again, you know, I, I uh, really appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing all the things that you did. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and to everybody who's listening, I want to thank you all uh, so, so much for supporting the show and watching or listening. Um, you all are the reason that, uh, that I do this, so thank you very much. I love you guys. Uh, you want to wrap up for us, Shecky? No, uh, dude, I just want to say this has been I've, – I've been interviewed a lot. And this has been a really uh, unusual, I kind of, there were parts where I felt like I was almost sitting on the psychiatrist's couch. <laughs> so kudos to you for that, because you brought out some, some very, very personal things. Um, I would say, and maybe this is a pitch, but if you liked what you heard about what we're up to in the real estate world, and you think that, you know, this might be a fit for your investing goals or looking to create a stronger financial future, Go to our website, highreturnrealestate.com, just like it sounds. Um, and you want to write to me directly, it's Shecky at highreturnrealestate.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. And, and Ben, thank you again. This has been uh, fantastic, really. Awesome. Well, again, 
Thank you so much, Shaky, and thank you to everybody who's listening. This has been another episode of the Project Egg Show where we interview entrepreneurs so that you can build your business, create your dream life, and we can all live in a better world together. Thank you so much and have a great day.